Hello and welcome to Off The Shelf Reviews. I felt very unsettled after this film. And I'm Gary, and today we're going to review and discuss Session 9, which released in 2001. Written by Brad Anderson and Stephen Geverden, and directed by Brad Anderson. Ian, why don't you give us the synopsis? Well, the story follows Gordon Fleming, played by Peter Mullen. Gordon is the head of an asbestos cleaning company who has been hired to enter an old abandoned hospital and clean out the asbestos. Gordon has given himself the impossible task of doing it within a week, but as the team go in there, we start to realise something darker may be in there with them. Hello, Gordon. So I actually remember renting this film, I think from Blockbuster. Wow. Like back in the day. Back in the like day. It's 20, over 20 years old now, this film. Yeah. And I remember really enjoying it when I first rented the film. And then the years went by and I, no one, I, I'd never spoken to anybody who had also seen this film. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, I really enjoyed it. But you know what? I, like six years had passed. I'm like, I can't remember this film. I'll watch it again. And when it finished, I was like, that was really good. Really effective. I should tell more people about this film. Another six years passed, and I've totally forgotten that film. I need to watch it again. <laughs> and even sitting down to watch it for this film, I was telling people, I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm reviewing Session 9, but I can't remember any of it. I can't remember the ending. I can't remember what it's about. I just remember, the only thing I ever remember is the Danvers Asylum. Yeah. Because it, it just leaves such an imprint on you as it does in this film. Yeah. And it was also the director, writer said he drove past this abandoned Danvers mental asylum or hospital every single day. Wow. And he was just like, I've, I need to write something. Yeah. I need to incorporate. It was yeah. like the building itself was calling him. Yes. From yes. outside. And uh, and so, yeah. And so they were like, we have to do something with this film. And so the entire script was written with this location in mind. And they did such an effective job with filming this interior of the hospital that Konami took some of the visuals from this film, especially the interiors of this hospital, and incorporated it into their designs for Brookhaven Hospital in Silent Hill 3. Nice. <laughs> That's how effective this damn hospital yeah, is. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'd never heard about this movie. I mean, you probably mentioned it to me a couple of times uh, for our time and thought, well, yeah, I'll, I'll watch it at some point. But like you said, it, 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 it always seemed to come along to you. You'd watch it and then you'd forget and it would just go away. And so when you said we were watching it for the review and you were just like, oh, yeah, man, I've seen it like three times. I'm like, why have I never heard about this? So, you know, as I do, I researched it, gave a quick wiki and I was just like, oh, OK, right. So I, I, I know what I'm going in for. And nothing jumped out at me just at first until I sat down to really make my notes. And then when I'd seen Peter Mullen was in the movie, and I realised that this was the guy from Tyrannosaur that I'd seen a few years ago. I was like, well, I'm I'm done. He's a powerful actor. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. Like, if you've never seen it, I cannot recommend Tyrannosaur wholeheartedly. It's so awkward and so raw. But this is what this... This, this, this guy kind of thrives on this. He can... He can look like, you know, unbridled rage behind the eyes, but at the same time talk to you so nicely and, and calm, so politely yeah. and so calmly. You know, I see David Caruso playing Phil. Man, I love David Caruso. Like, I know he's got, like, a, a massive, like, history on TV for, like, yeah. CSI or whatever it is, but I remember him from uh, King of New York, 
with fucking Christopher Walken and the whole shootout sequence with Lawrence Fishburne. Oh yeah. man, he's, a, he's amazing. That <laughs> he's amazing in First Blood, Rambo, First Blood, Fer- yeah. Rambo as well. And so, like, I, I immediately I, before it even hit play, I'm like, oh, this is gonna be good. Just yeah. from those two names alone, uh, I'm, 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 and I, I kind of know where this is going. This is gonna be good. And our introduction to these characters, particularly Gordon, like we, we we can tell that something's off with him straight away, and he yeah. explains like, oh, you know, I'm I'm struggling to find sleep because Emma, my new baby, has got an infection, yeah, so she's crying all night. You know, my wife Emma, she's also really tired, but we're here now to do this job, and they're waiting to get shown around, yeah, the Danvers Asylum because they're here as a asbestos removal company, yeah, yeah. And it's a real, I, I, it's one of my favorite scenes in the film. Just Gordon and Paul Guilfoyle, who plays Bill Griggs, who's uh, who turns up to to show them around the asylum. Yeah, and just you know, it's it's all of the explanation of the buildings, the way that it is, the oh. the, the layout, the two wings, the male and female wing, explaining how many patients that there were in here. Oh man, it's so unsettling. It's just them just walking around this abandoned building and knowing that this isn't a building that exists, knowing that this the whole history exists, and you've got Bill Griggs kind of just laughing it off. Yeah, oh, this is what. I call this room and this is what I call that room hope you're not afraid of the dark because we're going down in tunnels I'm like run just go I just like I like I'm it's not that I'm scared I'm not I'm not that I'm scared it's just like in as I've gotten older I just know that some buildings have an imprint you know every human being seems to give off like a psychic energy and if you hold it in an area for so long it will just permeate there and just be there and even through this film and this film's like 2001 i could feel it through the screen <laughs> permeating me this building oh yeah well a lot of the actors actually said they they felt uncomfortable yeah. in there. they said that even though it's abandoned there is a, a sort of psychic energy in a the presence in the, yeah like uh the the actor playing Gordon, uh, Peter Mullen, said that when he was on the roof of the building at one point, yeah. his inner voice told him to jump off the roof. Oh, no. You know, and he was just like, he was just like, well, I'm not going to kill myself. I've got no intention of killing myself. But he said the building has a presence. Yeah. You know? And he's like, he didn't want to talk about it to the other cast and crew because he was like, You'll, they'll think you're a bit weird. Yeah, yeah. But they all said they felt something like the presence of the building. Yeah. And, uh, well, the film would eventually uh, articulate this as the voice of Simon. Mm. And we hear Gordon when he's down there looking around. It talks to him. Hello. Gordon. Gordy? It's me, man. You can hear me. Or does it? Is it a voice in his head? Yeah. And uh, eventually the rest of the team will arrive. And that's after they've decided whether they can do the job in the three weeks. Which Phil thinks the job can be done in three weeks. Yeah, yeah. But Gordon's like, no, we'll do it in two weeks. But he ends up turning it down into seven days. We're going to do it in one week. Yeah. Which, of course, so they're, they're all under pressure. All of them are feeling tired. And when we do meet the rest of the cast, there's this underlying theme of the fact that they're all doing one of the worst jobs on the planet. And some of them have back out, you know, a backup plans. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you've never worked with asbestos before, I mean, this shit is absolutely disgusting. Like this stuff, they they used it for insulin to keep um, in houses to keep you warm back in the day. But if you breathe it in, 
like little particles of it will get into your lungs and will give you cancer like 10 years later. Like it was used in schools and hospitals all around oh, yeah. the world. And so now they're trying to clear this out. Like I'm listening to them and I'm like, three weeks is a push for a building this large with a, like a five man crew to clear it. Even if you are highly professional, two weeks, you're just trying to undercut the guy that you're, who's trying to outbid you. And then when Gordon says, I'll do it in a week, I'm like, you're desperate. This man is desperate. Peter yeah. Mullen is selling to me that everything in his life hinges on completing this job and getting the money to yeah. support his wife, support his baby, support himself, support his friends. Yeah, because a lot of them are counting on him to secure this job for them. Yeah. Because like I said, they've also got back out or They've also got backup plans should this job fall through or... Yeah, but they've also... The, the whole team is, 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 is against each other. So, like, we've got Josh Lucas playing Hazmat Hank. <laughs> um, who, he, you know, he, he tries to act smart. Like, he's got the whole gear on that, you know, he wants to protect himself while he's going through there. But at the same time, he, he's been working with them for years um, but he kind of hates them, and he's sleeping with Phil's ex-girlfriend, or or, yeah. he's, or he's cheating on her behind Phil's back. So him and Phil absolutely hate each other, which is brilliant. David Crusoe plays it really well, yeah. that he hates Hank, but they have to work with each other because of Gordon. Yeah. Uh, we've got Jeff, uh, played by Brendan Sexton III, who's uh, Gordon's cousin. You know, I don't know if he's related to Gordon or if he's related to the wife, Gordon's yeah. wife. I don't but, know if it's his cousin or if it's nephew. It's nephew, nephew, you know, yeah. but there's definitely a family relation. So yeah. the, 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 the professional guys on his team hate the fact that Gordon's got his nephew on there because his nephew doesn't know what the fuck he's doing and they're, got, they're on such a tiny little time limit. Yeah, and you can tell straight away that he's new to this because he's like, oh, I'm going to put my music on, yeah. I'm going to play it really loud. <laughs> and Hazmat Hank is just like, don't you know anything about asbestos? All of the vibrations and the music can cause the asbestos to get in your lungs and you'll die. Yeah. So he's just like, I'll turn the music down. <laughs> yeah. And, and there's a nice little bit later on in the movie where they're listening to music and it's it's completely chilled music. You know, it won't disturb the vibrations yeah. too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we've also got Mike, uh, played by Stephen Geevedon, and like when I was researching it, like he's the only actor who really, really doesn't have much of a filmography. Well, he's also the writer else. of the film, co-writer. Oh, yeah. right. Oh, because he's also the one that has lots of backstory and snippets of information yeah. about the place. Because it turns out he dropped out of law school. Yeah. And he's ended up in this role. But he talks about how his dad was involved in one of the cases here that yeah. helped in it being closed down. Now, the reason they give in the film is not the reason why this building is closed down. Yeah, yeah. But it's very similar to real life stories as well, where he tells the story of this woman who was in the asylum and they used a brand new technique uh, to to delve hypnosis. hypnosis yeah. To delve into her memories. And what the doctors discover is that she was uh, raped by her entire family and also used in satanic rituals where they ate the flesh of uh, of the newborn baby. Yeah. And so they were like, oh. So yeah. then so then they decided to, to Take, sue the family. Yeah. But then the family, you know, found out there was nothing behind it, ended up 
discovering that all of that information was planted in this patient's head. So the family ended up suing the asylum. Yeah. Therefore, they went bankrupt and had to close down. They also explained that all of the patients, some of them got taken to more secure facilities. A lot of them were out onto the streets. Yeah. And over the years since it's been shut down, vagrants, homeless people, drug users... You know, uh, teens just exploring, and See, the patients I... wander back into the asylum. And even though they say that in the film, that also actually happened with this location, oh, yeah, yeah. which explains all of the graffiti inside. Yes. Because when they turned up to, to the location to film this, they didn't really bring any props with them. They brought the asbestos removal stuff. Yeah. But when you look inside and you see the, the patient's rooms, the solitary rooms, and all the pictures everywhere, the crew didn't that's do anything. Stuff. That was just what was actually still in the building. Yeah. And so that's what I mean about this this building having such a presence is because it was left untouched. Well, it's like that image you've got of that wheelchair. Yeah. Like We see that image in a corridor a couple of times throughout the movie and all i could think was like that's just a wheelchair it's just been placed there it means nothing but in the context of this movie the way it feels that wheelchair means something and just leaves an image on me that whenever they're walking around they're walking through the tunnels and they're t moving stuff and they touch stuff it's like a work environment it feels real it like and and crazy enough like i said the 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 mike character I felt he had some of the best backstory setting up. And though he's not an actor, in comparison to all these well-established actors who are playing characters, just makes everything really, really work. But, but, <laughs> we do have just intercut, and it was really well done in the movie, audio sequences throughout the movie that just unsettle you and so we've seen at some point um gordon go home to his wife and his baby and he sees them and he's got his flowers and he's about to cry he, he, he's you can tell he's sat in the car he's sad he's tired he looks at her she smiles he kind of smiles back and he goes to walk into the house and then there's appears to you you hear what you think is a scream and then it kind of cuts to Monday. Roses? <laughs> They're lovely. What's the occasion, Gordon? <laughs> and you will get kind of the shining feeling now. Oh, yeah. You know, like Gary said, the building is a presence. You know from the Peter Mullen character that we're getting is that this guy is unhinged and things are going to go a bit askew. Um, but over the course of this week, and that was how well it was done, that each day, each day felt so long. You know, like I'd forget. I had to flick through back through my notes. Like, are we still on Tuesday? <laughs> Fucking hell, we're, we're just going. And you just gradually, over the course of days, just watch the degradation of this team of people. Yeah. Hate on it. each other. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there was already the hatred there between uh, Phil and Mike anyway. Yeah. And so that kind of just uh, exasperates the situation as they both, as everybody starts to become more stressed working in this building. And I, we see it mostly on, on Gordon as well, especially when there's scenes where he's trying to call his wife and, yes. and she's not answering. And there's yeah. this scene where uh, where uh, Jeff comes to talk to him and and, and Gordon is just struggling to hold back the tears. Oh, yeah. And he ends yeah. up shaking his hand. He's like, yeah, family. We're work. We're family. Yeah. And it's like, there's like a guilt there, we, you know, which we'll, we'll discover soon. Yeah. But yeah. we're also following Mike, who's kind of, 
like shirking off his responsibilities to do the cleaning and he keeps wandering down into the records room and he's playing these session tapes. Fuck that Mike. Fuck you Mike. Like the, like the power goes and he's and he says to Jeff, you have to go down to the basement and reset the breakers and Jeff's like, mate, I've got I'm afraid of the dark. I'm afraid of dark. I've got this fear and I'm like, I totally get it, Jeff. And so Mike's like, I'll do it and he wanders down and he flicks the power on. And he sees the light come on in this records room and he just goes wandering in there i'm like no just go walk away just no yeah you may as well just open the necronomicon and read out the first passage on there <laughs> yes, you know yes. um, but yeah he starts listening to all of the session tapes there is a nice shot where it pans and we see all nine session tapes yes and they're talking that, that, that when he plays back the tapes they're playing the story of mary hobbs who of course was a patient in here mm. and she seems to have multiple personalities and so the doctor is also talking to billy and princess and also trying to coax out this other voice called simon yeah and throughout the course of the film we find out that mary uh was was involved in an incident on christmas day mm. where she ended up falling on her china doll or porcelain doll severely scarring her chest yeah and then she went and took the knife that Peter got for Christmas and brutally murdered the entire family. Yeah. And then ended up in the asylum where these other voices and etc. are. Yeah. And so, but the, these tapes play almost every day or during transitions throughout the film. Yeah. So we get these peppered interviews in. And I'm just going to say the, the, the voice of the doctor is really good. The voice, the voice actress doing a great job delivering these voices or there's numerous actors doing the voices but it, it is creepy and unsettling yeah, and as the film's it's... going on you kind of want to know more as well you, because it you at first you might think that the story is directly related to the asylum but it's not 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 heavily yeah now there was going there was deleted scenes where there was going to be a woman roaming around the asylum that they would spot Every right, now and right, again. Right. But they decided to cut it because they thought it might be too confusing because you'd think it was Mary Hobbs from the tapes yeah, still yeah, roaming yeah. around. So yeah. they're like, no, let's keep that out. Yeah. There, there is, I, I, as the movie goes on, there are multiple, multiple interpretations you can take with this movie, which I just thought was so phenom phenomenal because I cannot be 100% sure. I know how it goes, but I'm like, did this happen because of this or is that just a coincidence? Is it a side effect? Is it is is none of it real? I don't know. Like like you said, we've got Mike constantly going to these tapes, and we've got Hank constantly having his arguments uh, with Phil. Um, uh, Gordon doesn't want to get rid of Hank because he knows Hank's a really good guy, but Phil's like, constantly at him like, look, if we get rid of him, we can get this other guy in who can work just as good, and he can take up the slack. And so you're constantly just getting more and more agitation between all of the workers. And we see Hank, and he has this wonderful moment where he finds, like, a, a, he's walking around the basement and he finds this coin. And he looks at the date and he's amazed by how old the coin is. And he starts to follow this trail. And he comes up to this wall and he loosens one of the bricks in the wall and he starts to find all of these coins, all of this jewellery, all of this stuff. And you're like, what is all of this? And then you realise what he's done is he's kind of broken into the furnace on the other side of the room where they've been throwing dead bodies. And so literally this is all the stuff that hasn't burnt. And he's so excited about finding all of this that he's going to get it and he's going to sell it and he's going to make his money. He's going to fuck off to Las Vegas and he's going to have his, his fun time. But the movie tells it in such a good way that it's like, like we've had already with Mike who's opened up the evidence of session nine. That's been intercut with, um, 
Gordon cutting his hand on yeah. the blade, um, that you like, oh, maybe that's opened the spirit. And now that Hank's found this jewellery and he's he's opened up, has that kind of coaxed out the spirit? The, the, but in a weird way, the audience already knows that something's already happened. I mean, yeah, like it's, something's definitely already happened and, and uh, you don't, it's the fact that the Danvers Asylum is afflicting all of them. Yeah. But none of them are particularly aware of it. No, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so I think it's like, was it Tuesday night? Or or even Monday night, where Hank comes back into yeah, I think it's Tuesday. Asylum. Yeah, I think yeah. it's Tuesday night, yeah. And, you know, he's got his music on, he's got his Walkman on. Why, 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 why? I'm, so, I'm sorry, sorry, sorry. But why the fuck would you walk around an abandoned asylum at night time, in the dark, with music playing? No, 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 no I'd need all my senses. Yeah, you know, I, 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 really I, I, really I get it, I get it. I, mean, part, I would know. A part of me would also just want my headphones on. I want to be playing Enya, you know, <laughs> No, playing something no, really chill because he hears the noise he's like huh what's that and he pulls his headphone I'm like yes dude of course something's fucking walking around don't <laughs> fucking just like he should have had somebody there he should have had like a team of buddies like with rope like <laughs> oh, it, was, oh, it was so well done and the way that uh, Josh Lucas who you know Josh Lucas isn't the best actor like he was he he's was, all right yeah he, he was all right as talbot and hulk uh the captain and poseidon like uh he's always been good as maybe a b actor yeah. side part and he's doing well in this that i'm like i'm fearing for him so when he's walking down and you see that silhouette oh i paused <laughs> i paused the movie ladies <laughs> yeah. and gentlemen i was sat there in the dark i paused the movie i took a walk outside i came take a breather yeah, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, that ultimately is the end of Hank. Yeah. Uh, we don't really see what happens to him. All we know is that the team are there the next day. It gets to the middle of the day and they're like, what the fuck is Hank? Yeah, let yeah. Me, let me ring him. Oh, he's not answering. Let me ring his girlfriend. Oh, wait, I know his girlfriend's number. It's my old yes, girlfriend. Yes, Phil. And uh, he's just like, well, he's buggered off. He's, he's buggered off to Las Vegas with his with his money. He's not coming back. Yes, <laughs> but you, you, you can see that because there was a sequence where Phil had been spotted speaking to some local hoodlums um, by Gordon. And so now Gordon kind of has the feeling... There's that, a conspiracy going on. Yeah, yeah, that Phil has had Hank removed so that they have to get this other guy in. Um, and Phil is starting to feel like he can't trust Gordon anymore, even though he's been trying to be his buddy all the way through since the start of the movie, because Gordon's already revealed to him that he's hit his wife, that he's looking like he's, he's tired, and he's going to lose the business unless they can complete this um, contract. So he's trying to get Mike on his side. So, you like, I felt for Gordon, but at the same time, I, I felt awkward for Gordon because the movie does the audio so well that I know something bad has happened, you know? And I, I, in my experience, I know where it's going, like, because Peter Mullen is looking more and more unhinged yeah. as the week goes on. <laughs> <laughs> Not here, Gordon, later. Do it, Gordon. <laughs> 
they have this great moment on the roof where they're yelling at each other against one of my favorite scenes. Yeah. Where they're just like, fuck you. <laughs> and he turns and goes, no, fuck you. Yeah. Just like, oh, such great delivery. Yes. Such great delivery. But yeah, the tensions are running high. The team's falling apart. And uh, it doesn't look like they're, they're going to get the job done. No. But the breakers go again. Jeff is still trying to do his work. You know, like I said, he's had his moment with his uncle saying, look, I'm really thankful for this job. He's working with the team. He's starting to pick up his slack. And as the breakers go, he braves it down to flick the breakers back on. And as he's walking back up, he sees Hank stood there with sunglasses on. And weirdly enough, we'd had that sequence with Mike and Jeff where Mike had explained that with a chopstick, that if you insert something into the eye and just have it like a, a certain angle, the person is still alive. And you would never know other than just... Yeah, the lobotomized. The lobotomized, yeah. yeah. And the way that Hank has kind of just stood there repeating it, you you feel like Cause the, something's uh, not right up there. Yeah, because he said the only treatment for it is sunglasses. And so seeing him there in sunglasses, you're just like, oh. oh yeah. No. Oh, no. Yeah. It, was it foreshadowing this? Now... Bit of trivia for you. Okay. Now I haven't I haven't fully fact checked this one. Oh, okay. Um, but apparently this asylum here, the Danvers Asylum, was the institution that developed the that that method of lobotomizing. Ah, okay. Uh, so it was actually experimented on Ooh. in this building. So I, yeah, I, 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 like it made me cringe just that thing going into your eye socket anyway. Yeah. I was like, I don't really want to read into the history of all the failed attempts at before they actually achieved what they were setting out to do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But just even just the, knowing all of that went on in this building as well, it's just another thing to make you go, I don't want to go in there. No, no. And 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 Jeff goes and finds Mike, Phil, and Gordon and tries to explain to. Him that he's found Hank and Phil doesn't believe him because he's been told by the girlfriend that Hank's fucked off to Las Vegas and Gordon kind of believes him and wants to go and find him but when they make their way to the stairs he's gone and we we hear footsteps going around so they all decide to split up to go and try to find Hank and it's just oh man it just built more and more to the point like we discuss it so many times about tone you know, and how movies, if they maintain a certain tone, it just is so brilliant. And if they're all over the place, you just don't know what you're feeling. This movie's tone was so unsettling from the moment the fucking movie started that by this point in the movie, like, I just wanted to do, be doing anything else but watch this film. But I could not turn it off. I had to see it all the way to the end. It's compelling. Just, it's gripping. Yeah, yeah. They're all just splitting up, you know, like, there was that beautiful shot. Like, I don't know how the director's got it. It was so brilliant set up where Jeff comes across a corridor and it's just suits. It's just what appears to be hazmat suits all the way down. We hadn't seen it all the way through the movie. Like, they'd never walked past this once and here it is. And I'm like, what the fuck? I'm expecting Hank to just like, jump out at any point and get him. <laughs> um, and then when the power goes, Jeff is in this corridor and he's running and the lights are going out behind him. Yeah, but they soon catch up to in exact, front of him exactly. until he's lost in the darkness. I was no, like, oh, I'm knowing that he's terrified. Being I'm claustrophobic, like, afraid of the dark. It's just... And then when you see all that white stuff coming out, that shit's like yeah, asbestos, asbestos dust. Yeah. Like, so he's breathing it in. He's got know, all over his face. The, the nightmare that Mike had said to him earlier yeah. about like having a backup plan. We see uh, Phil walking through... The, the darkened corridors because he'd heard the music. Yeah. Oh my God. He's like, I have to go down. I'm like, fuck, go, man. Just 
leave, don't go down there. No, I, and it's really quite compelling because Phil's wanting to find out what happened to Hank. He hates Hank, yeah. but he has to find out what's going on. So he goes down there and you see the pile of clothes and you hear the voice and there he is just kind of shaking. You know, um, Gordon has uh, wandered off as well looking for... Uh, looking upstairs and he's come across the corridor he's walked into the room full of the pictures he's starting to notice the pictures of his own family there with blood and he's questioning what's going on and we've just got mike wandering around and you're you're just like what the hell's going on well yeah i mean uh, jeff ends up running all the way out to the van yeah and he's just like he calls up uh gordon, gordon he's just like oh i'm outside i don't know what happened i don't know what happened and we get this pov shot just zooming all the way up to Jeff there yeah. uh, before, again, it cuts out and we're like, what happened there? Did he yeah. die or something happened? Well, you, yeah, I, in my experience, I can tell a jump cut where yes. somebody dies. Yes. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, that motherfucker well, dead. I mean, that's, it's, it's something that this film's done from the very beginning of the film where yeah. it either cuts to an awkward, you know, discordant sound. Yeah. Uh, whether it's a scream or a screech or a scratch or something. And you're like, that was probably a death in there. Um, but I just want to go back and say that the film does have... Uh, it has planted a few visuals for you to pick up on. Yeah. And right from the beginning where we see Gordon about to go home to his wife, his grocery bag. Yes. And inside there you can see some Jif peanut butter in the tub and you can also see the Oreos. Yeah. Now we saw in in the beginning him going into the house with those things. Yet for some reason when Hank was in the asylum on his own at night, he turns around and he picks up a tub yeah. of Jif peanut butter. Yeah. When, when Jeff is back at the van, the Oreos are there. Yeah. So you're like... Now, did he take that groceries home? Does he buy those groceries every day? Or has Gordon been staying at the asylum because we yeah. know that he can't go home? He's supposed to be staying in a hotel, yeah. which we never see him go to. No. So it looks like he's been eating the groceries here. I think there's a point as well. We even see the roses that he was going to give to his you wife do. in the back yeah, of the van. Crushed. But they're covered no, in the red stuff that they were using to get rid of the asbestos. So it looks like blood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's just so many different cues. Um... And we, we get uh, Craig McManus, uh, played by Larry Fessenden, turn up. This is the guy who's supposed to be replacing Hank. I've got to call up my boy Larry because he uh, starred in The Dead Don't Die, which is an awesome film that you've got to check out. Um, and he starts wandering around. He's looking for the crew. Um, and he, is, uh, he, he comes across Gordon, who is talking to Phil, standing over Hank's naked body wrapped in plastic and when gordon removes the sunglasses we see the uh lobotomy stick in the eye and gordon is just completely freaking out at phil what the hell have you done what have you been doing phil and phil's screaming at him to wake up wake up and then when craig finally kind of interrupts the sequence we realize that phil's not even there and gordon just kind of grabs craig pulls the the spike out of Hank's eye. And Hank's been alive this whole point while he's been lying there just kind of talking. I just want to bring up that this film only utilizes CGI in one scene in the entire film, which is great. Yeah. Uh, but the, the scene where he's pulling it out of his eye, yeah. that's CGI. Oh, that's, so, it was uh, so good. The, because... Josh Lucas just lifted his head up slightly yeah. to give you the impression that it was being pulled and then dropped back down afterwards and to that's sell it. it. And, it, and, it and it kills him and then he, he jams it into Craig's eye. And Craig's there, yeah, and you you get the revelation now, where it turns out that well, like that's the thing. There's multiple interpretations for this movie. So 
Has Gordon been taken over by Simon? Because as this whole ending's been playing, we finally got the introduction to Simon, the ending of session nine, the reveal of what happened to the family, about how Simon's been living in Mary, and that now we're possibly seeing that Simon has been living inside Gordon and that Gordon has killed Hank. He's, he's killed, killed them all. He's killed Phil. <laughs> we see the bodies. He's killed Jeff. Oh, it's brilliant just watching them. He's killed Mike. Just the, the way that I love that shot where you looked into the room and you saw the blood smear. Yeah. You know, and we seal that. And we also are revealed that Gordon had gone home at the beginning, had gone to surprise his wife with some flowers. She was making some pasta with some hot water. She spilt the hot water on him. He's, from the sound of it, because this is all audio as well, he's attacked her and then stabbed her multiple times, kicked in their dog, and then killed their baby. Do it, Gordon. And then gone to work and killed all of his friends. Yeah, after the influence of the asylum, which of course has its own effect but, on him as well. But did it? Because because there's a point in the movie where Mike talks about the difference between murder yeah. and insanity. You yeah. know, like when you commit murder, you have a motive. And people who, who kill like this, they don't have it. And so then I'm like, is Gordon just mad? Yeah. Has he gone mad? Simon, you know... Simon doesn't Simon doesn't ex, Simon doesn't exist. He's made up his own Simon to to cover these murders. Did he also while I've been fucking doing this review of you did he live in the asylum before and then it was closed and he's gotten a job as an asbestos owner and <laughs> yeah, had a wife a and then he's killed them all and he's gone back home. I, I got I got the uh, the the um, the inclination that maybe he was a former patient there as well. Uh, but yeah, it's, I don't think so. I don't think I, that's the case. Okay, you don't think that's the case, but a magical mystical spirit that lives there might there, be there, the case? There's all, no, there's no magical mystical spirit there. Well, the only the, thing that's there is the voice on the tapes, which of course has a haunting sound and effect to it which leads yeah. you to manifest spirits and ghosts which aren't actually there but it, yeah but i like that interpretation as well like i said from mike's law perspective yeah. is that like gordon is is perfectly in that position to create a simon a simon yeah. a persona to cover these reasons because like we said because he's not aware of of the fact that he's doing all he knows is that he's tired yeah exactly and he keeps trying to make those phone calls and we've seen them throughout the movie and obviously we know towards the end that he's not talking to anybody and i especially really love that one especially at the end when he's in the room and it's just a broken phone yeah and he's just trying to talk and all i could think of is shit can you imagine what bill's gonna think when he turns up on monday he's yeah. <laughs> right i need another cleanup crew we're the old cleanup crew so no questions asked like yeah will they even find gordon will he just disappear off into the basement yeah <laughs> favorite scenes ian oh man i just so many of them i absolutely loved the sequences of the just the corridors the stairways, you know, they're very, um, they're very, like I said, they're very Silent Hill. They're very off-putting. You can just, like, you don't even have to explain. You just have to put a camera on a dark corridor and just look at it. And you're immediately looking at nothing and something's there. Peter Mullen sells that right at the beginning, especially when you then add in the audio 
of the voice, you know, hello, Gordon. It's like, fuck you, man. Get out of my head. You know, luckily, luckily, my voices are my own voice. Uh, the the movement of Hank uh, through the tunnels, that silhouette. Like I said, I paused the movie at that point. I was I was really enjoying being terrified at that point. And then I just saw that dark silhouette move and I hit pause. And I was like, fuck you, movie. And I went outside for a moment. I stood in the light and then I walked back in and I sat down. And I was, it's just, yeah, it's just something like the same sequence with Jeff when he's running down the corridor in the hazmat suits, like just to be caught Getting lost in, there. in a labyrinth of caves filled with asbestos oh, and man. maybe something else. Yeah. And like, like it's, it's hard, like I said, it's hard to describe, but just the way that this movie utilizes the audio, especially I'll use the end sequence of, you know, the intimate of revealing of all the deaths. Um, you know, I really liked the, the way the radio was. It confused me. Like, uh, when he says he's found Hank and you have to come to this floor and then feels like, oh, I found Hank. And, but it's like disembodied voices. Yeah. Like Gordon's not really hearing them or you're not really hearing them. It's it's really weird. The the audio of hearing his wife, his baby and his dog all die. Uh, it will sit with you. Just, yeah. Yeah, exactly. For me, the entire film is a favourite scene, despite the fact that six years from now I'll forget that I've seen the film and need I, to watch it again. I'll fucking remind you. <laughs> it's my own. It's my own Simon Asylum effect. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the whole film really is is a favourite scene. But I really enjoyed the opening scene, him going home to his wife. It's all the establishing stuff, really. I think the first act is really, really strong. Yeah. Um, other than as other favourite scenes, I would say. All of the asylum stuff, like you've mentioned, the this building is fantastic. Yeah. And, you know, uh, abandoned asylums make great premises or grounds for horror movies anyway. <laughs> uh, and this might very well be one of my favorite haunted house movies mm. without it actually being super supernaturally haunting. Yes, yes, definitely. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, there's the whole film is of of a quality that the whole film becomes one great. Thing. Yes. So I'll I'll be recommending it. But first, Ian, do you do you recommend? <laughs> I uh, wholeheartedly fucking recommend this movie. And funnily enough, I'm I'm surprised I am as much as I am. When I first thought about sitting down and watch this movie, I was like, ah, it's going to be a, just a typical you know people going into an asylum getting killed. Then I saw the lineup, and you cannot get any better than this lineup. Peter Mullen himself. I will praise him till the fucking cows come home. He is just quiet rage. He's scary. He's terrifying. But he's also calm. He's friendly. Every one of the actors in this movie fucking outshone each other. But the fucking star of the movie is the asylum. Is the director's eye. The locations. It's unsettling. If you can sit throughout this movie in the dark... And walk away at the end and be like, yeah, I'm fine. There's something wrong with you. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely recommending Session 9. It's a really effective thriller with a great ominous atmosphere, relatable blue-collar characters, good script, and a real haunting location. The performances from the whole cast are excellent here, and Peter Mullen really shines in his portrayal of depression and his slow unravelling as he blurs the lines of sanity. The Danvers Asylum in its abandoned state is the real star here. It's creepy, it has history, and it's really eerie. 
great cinematography, lighting and editing. It's minimalist, but solid. It's not distracting. And considering it was on a low budget, I think they did a great job. The music score also really builds the chills and the atmosphere. It's subtle at times, but it's always uncomfortable. This is a smart, well-made horror that deserves to be seen and revisited, as it's often overlooked or underrated. Highly engrossing, sometimes ambiguous tale that will get under your skin. It's great psychological horror. Give this a watch. Fear is a place. Thanks for watching Off The Shelf Reviews. Jeff, mate, go downstairs, make sure he doesn't turn around. You, you come with me. Hey. Fuck you. <laughs>